once again, we welcome you back into the One Giant Podcast. Along with myself, Adam Arbrecht, over there is Andy Mackowitz. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm not attending any barbecues in Miramar, Florida anytime soon, I don't think. so. That is the, the unfortunate reason that we come in with a bit of a, a special update for the One Giant Podcast is obviously some news over the last handful of days regarding our first round selection from a year ago, DeAndre Baker. So uh, per police reports on May 13th, he was charged with four counts of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm, along with Seattle uh, cornerback Dunbar was also charged with four counts of armed robbery, not with uh, any of the uh, aggravated assault potentially because Baker allegedly is uh, the one who was wielding a gun or instructing someone with a weapon to possibly uh, inflict violence on someone at a party. So per the police report, Baker took money and watches from victims while armed with a semi-automatic firearm. Dunbar allegedly assisted Baker in taking the money and valuables from the attendees at a party in Miramar. Uh, The pair were allegedly hanging at a cookout when an argument ensued, resulting in Baker revealing a semi-automatic firearm and allegedly directing a third member wearing a red mask to shoot a person who entered the party, but the gun was not fired. Both Baker and Dunbar are believed to have taken over three timepieces, including an $18,000 Rolex watch, also allegedly took over $7,000 in cash. Two, Two attendees at the party did not see Dunbar with a firearm, but one said the opposite. So there's some conflicting reports there as well. Uh, just on the face of it, Andy, as I uh, mentioned in there, allegedly, right, there, there's obviously follow-up information about this, but the charges that initially came on Thursday, um, whoa, what was your, your, your first thoughts on this? I've read the story no less than 15 times. And even you just listing back the details of the story, I'm literally shaking my head right now. It, it, it's such a wild story. And, you know, Adam, apparently you're not into the expensive watch game because he did steal a, a, a Rolex. He did take a, a Hublot. And he also, there was also uh, another watch, I think, that was valued about fifteen dollars to $20,000. It was an Audemars watch. So um, why, absolutely wild story, again, if true. Um, you know, some of the other headlines that have come back out, um, just anecdotally, allegedly again, mm-hmm. is that um, DeAndre Baker and Dunbar had lost $70,000 in a card game a day or two earlier to the same people. Another report says that they set up their cars as getaway cars, mm-hmm. um, all three men, basically like angled to, to be able to speed away. I think they may have even left the keys in, in, in the ignition and the car turned on and like was ready to bail. This story is absolutely insane for a first-round draft pick in any professional sport. And the reason why I say first-round draft pick is because you get guaranteed money up front. So, like, why are you stealing watches and and holding people up at gunpoint for, like, $50,000 when you signed a a four-year $10.1 million deal? That was my first thing. Um, My second thought, Adam, and I'll I'll turn it back over to you, is – Man, it was so timely, our last podcast, where we discussed um, the character of Daniel Jones and the character of Saquon Barkley. And I think I said, uh, having your name come up in the media, in the press, in the offseason is never a good thing, right? Yep. Like, So, you know, all of a sudden you see DeAndre Baker's name come up. You're like, oh, no, what is it? What, what are we talking about here? And, and, and that was my first initial thought, too. Yeah, you don't get a lot of the 
like you said, a lot of the headlines in the off season that are anything other than, unfortunately, we report X or we report Y. Um, now, since then, uh, while Dunbar, uh, the way that the police frame it remains at large, although I, I think that that's a, a, an aggressive form of verbiage for that because it's a matter of maybe negotiating some parameters around it. However, uh, since then, uh, DeAndre Baker has turned himself in to the uh, Broward County Jail on Saturday for four counts, again, of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm, according to his lawyer, uh, Bradford Cohen. Now, along with it, though, I will say that his attorney comes out and quoted as saying, we believe our client is innocent of all charges, Cohen said. We urge people not to rush to judgment. We have affidavits from several witnesses that exonerate my client. Um, you know, th there allegedly is also a, a, a videotape um, you know, that helps clear Baker's name in some form or fashion. I, when this first broke out, I, I, you know, it's easy to automatically just make your judgment about it, right? Because more often than not, these things end up being true. Where there's smoke, there's fire, et cetera. I do at least want, I'm just waiting because you and I were talking before we recorded and it just, I, I know that you're trying to do what's in the best interest of your client, but it seems like an interesting choice to, to come out and basically say, our client is innocent, you know, as opposed to there's a lot of parameters about what's going to happen next and trying to put Baker in potentially a, a positive situation to avoid as much jail time as possible. But it's another thing to basically say we have information, videos, written testimony that will clear my client's name. Uh, Dunbar's attorney saying the same thing as well. Any, any reaction to that as far as it goes? Or do you think that that's really just kind of what the expectations are for an attorney in this situation. Obviously, by the way, neither one of us are uh, legal as <laughs> experts here. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest with you, when I read uh, Dunbar's attorney's statement and he said, we've already collected five affidavits that say that he was not the aggressor, he, he didn't harm anyone, he wasn't there, like he wasn't part of this. I read that one, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Like I could see what's going on here. Then I, then I read DeAndre Baker's and he was, the attorney was very careful with the wording that he used mm -hmm. um, in some of the language around like, don't rush to judgment. There's more information about this than you realize, as opposed to like, he wasn't there or like, it wasn't right. him. Right. Like, so, so I think he's really setting it up to, to be able to say like, all you're seeing is a headline that my client had a gun and he robs people that like, there is way more around this story than you even can comprehend. And we have video to show like, maybe another guy had a gun and threatened him. Maybe something had, like he's, he's kind of teasing out that, that there's more to the story, but it sounds like it, to me, what the way the attorney is saying it is like, no, B Baker was there and like something happened, but we'll, we'll get into it later. Uh, the exact details. Yeah. So uh, listen, w without going too much into speculation, obviously on its face, this is concerning enough from, from a number of standpoints. I think uh, I'll say it first and foremost, as every year that I've gotten older is when these things happen, I sent it to you in a text. I was like, you know, it's a 22 year old kid, you know, it, it doesn't change the fact that what he did, if, it, if he did it was stupid and obviously wrong and against the law and all those things. And also it's just, it would just be unfortunate if a couple of, of young adults who are just kind of getting into their professional careers may all of a sudden find themselves in a very different set of circumstances. That being said, let's try to then go with hope for the best and, and plan for the worst, as they say. If, in fact, it comes to pass that whether, whatever, whatever it ends up being, DeAndre Baker is not a member of the New York football giants, 
from, from a football standpoint, what are the Giants going to do now, knowing that the idea was we brought in Bradbury to kind of allow Baker to slide into the second cornerback's role and continue to develop? You look across this roster, obviously Sam Beal, uh, Julian Love is maybe in a flexible position now. Corey Ballantyne are the initial players that jump off uh, the page at you in terms of who we currently have. Do you think the Giants go outside of the roster to, to bring in some additional depth? Because I have, I have a handful of names here that you can look at, remembering as well that the Giants do need to keep their eye on, on the cap hit, you know, ramifications from that standpoint as well. So uh, this is a tough one because I've gone back and forth on it. You know, whatever happens with Baker will happen, but let's just say he's not available for the Giants uh, this upcoming season. You know, do, do we want to spend $10 million on, on Logan Ryan, which is, a, you know, probably the best cornerback out there? Um, you know, Drake or Patrick, there's, there's, a, there's a few different names outside the building that I could see happen. Um, I saw uh, one of the Giants beat writers even, even put, dare I say, Eli Apple coming back to the Big Apple, um, which I think is a pipe dream. But honestly, I don't think that they do anything crazy. They're not going to risk the long-term cap flexibility that they've created to fill a short-term void when you're not even competing for anything this year. So for me, I, I kind of look at it as they drafted Darnay Holmes for a reason. I think mm-hmm. he is the name that I it just screams. They said he had all the talent. He was a character. He's a character guy, which now is important, obviously. Right. Um, you know, he, he slept at the training facility when his mother was and his mother slept in his, in his apartment, you know, when he was at UCLA, they say he, you know, he was three-year player at UCLA. As long as he stays healthy, he could be a guy that could step in and potentially start right away. Yeah. I think that there's value in that, right? When we were going over our draft review and just thinking about, Oh, interesting. A, a later round, a later round cornerback, but um, some potential there. And if I had to say on one side or the other, I would think they would look internally first. The other thing that I'll, I'll touch on as we take a look at some things here is I don't think some of those top names, right? Logan Ryan, no. Kirkpatrick, no. Eli Apple, certainly not. Any, any of what you would argue would be, quote unquote, the top available cornerbacks on the market. I don't think you're going to see the Giants do that because those players are looking for multiple year deals, whereas the Giants are looking, you know, we're going to put a Band-Aid maybe on the situation for one season. So a couple of quick caveats here. Let's go inside DeAndre's, John, DeAndre Baker's numbers, excuse me, from last season. We know, we know that he struggled. Um, but you're talking about a guy who allowed 61.4 completion percentage against him when targeted. Now gave up a QB rating of 116 uh, to quarterbacks when he was targeted as well. So just you know, some baseline ideas of, of where this player is coming from. A guy that struggled early and then came on a little bit later in the year. Our other now starting cornerback is going to be obviously uh, Bradbury. He comes in. Last season, having surrendered a 70 QB rating to opposing quarterbacks there and giving up just 59.8% completion percentage when targeted. The big bugaboo against him, just to maybe give people the, the reminder, was the missed tackles. Two years ago in 2018, only missed 5% of his tackles. Last year, 12%. So maybe just a technique there that you can correct. But So think about those numbers. 59, 60% completion percentage and a 70 QB rating. That, that's kind of the baseline you want to go from. And then you have that 116 QB rating against DeAndre Baker. On the roster currently, Sam Beal, this is a guy that gave up 76% completion and uh, surrendered a 115 rating. So I, you, know, you may like him, you may want to give him a chance, but you're going to have to you know, monitor him. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the answer for you. 
Corey Ballantyne, also on the roster. Again, this is more of a slot guy for us, as we know. 64 completion percentage against and a 126 rating. The names that I'll throw out there for you that are on the free agency market, there's three guys that I, that I was looking at. Um, the first one is going to be Akeem King off of the Seattle Seahawks formerly. Came away with a pro football focus rating of 61.9 last year. If you want to knock what his game would bring to the table, you can go ahead and look inside those numbers. Only surrendered 55% completion to opposing quarterbacks, but a 102 rating. Um, I, I, know, I know this is going to be a little long-winded on stat lines here, but that, you know, that's the first one. And I'll stop just after the second name here, and that is uh, Morris Claiborne. Obviously, you can say what you want, 63.9 pro football focus rating. And when you go inside his numbers, rating against last year, QB rating, 74, allowed 57% completion against, missed 0% of his tackles in 2019 playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that those – if you're going to go maybe veteran guy on the market that you could sign to a one-year deal, those would be reasonable options that, if you think about Sam Beal and you think about where Baker was last year, would also arguably even be a one-year one stopgap upgrade from what we currently have on the roster if you don't believe in some of the guys that you brought in, like a, like a Darnay Holmes. Well, I think those are that's interesting names that you brought up, and, and I do like comparing some of those different statistics that you put out. But I'm going to go bigger picture here and just say, what are we trying to accomplish by bringing one of these veterans in on a one-year year deal, right? If, if we don't think we're going to be making the playoffs this year, and this is a building year, and we have a plan, then we have to stick to that plan. And that plan is get Sam Beal, get Corey Ballantyne on the field, see if they are in the long-term plans. You know, we, we drafted Xavier McKinney. Julian Love was, was a cornerback at Notre Dame there is the opportunity to be able to move him back from safety to cornerback and kind of have him as a, as a hybrid guy to be able to, you know, be back up or play both positions. I think it's time for us to really invest in the players that we have now and not bring in a guy that's not going to be here when we actually are competitive. So I'm going completely the other way. I don't think they should sign anybody look internally between Holmes, Valentine, Beal and love. I feel like we can put piece something together. Well, and if you want to go the route of Holmes, I think that's you. Know, you're just saying, hey, we drafted this guy. Let's see what he's made of. Um, for, for, the, for the likes of a guy like Corey Ballantyne, I, I want to see what he does in year number two. We know that he had an injury coming into the season last year. But again, slot player. So we, you, know, you need someone for the outside. Sam Beal, I think you know, this, is, this is the bubble about to burst for that young man if he doesn't come into the season and make some noise. To your point about Julian Love, you will note, and we know that he moved around the field here last season for the Giants. But you know, last year, he gave up 65% completion percentage when targeted. But surrendered a uh, 81 QB rating. So for a rookie, you know, coming in and moving around a little bit, he certainly showed already, I think, some upside over, say, a Beal or maybe initially a Corey Ballantyne. So if you wanted to try to give, give Love and Holmes an opportunity to battle that, I get it. Uh, and beyond that, I, I think your point is also valid. Um, you know, the, the premise was that if we bring in Bradbury and Baker is taken off of the number ones, our defense all of a sudden starts to look, you know, a little bit stronger. And then you add Xavier McKinney, but you're still talking about developing, developing a player. I guess the difference being that expectations for Baker, maybe, you know, are, Hey, you're a first round talent. We expect you to play at a first round level. Whereas some of these other guys, you don't know. So that maybe would be the argument for bringing in a veteran, but I, I tend to side with you. You know, I'll ask this question as well. What do you think, 
if we're on the same page that the Giants should go forward with what they have and, and see what they can do, you know, see what these young players can do for you, what is the impact of, of Baker not being on this defense? You know, how, how does that impact this team from a wins and losses standpoint? I'm not saying that he is, you know, one of the top three players on the defensive side of the ball, but just in terms of totality, right, he was going to be an important component of this. So it, all offseason we talked a, a little bit about Baker and hoping that he could make the jump. He played a little bit better later on in the season. Um, you know, as, as Giant fans, uh, we kind of made some different excuses about Baker too. We said mm-hmm. it's definitely the scheme. Uh, you know, they, they have him playing off the ball when he's a really good press coverage guy. Like there, there's a whole host of things that um, we want to say about DeAndre Baker. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, it's one of those, one of those things where I didn't see enough last year to be able to say he's going to be a top 10, number two cornerback in the league. You know, I, I, I don't, he could have, he could have progressed and, and been a one, two punch with Bradbury, or he could have been not on the roster in year three. That's, that's how wide a variance he had. And, and the, and the interesting thing is, you know, we, and, and this will kind of move me over to the next point that, that we have is, with all this going on and all the things that are being talked about about DeAndre Baker, it brings up some of the the circumstances that surrounded the 2019 draft and DeAndre mm-hmm. Baker. Um, you know, they said that he had all the talent in the world. The Giants traded up right back into into the first round to be able to get DeAndre Baker. Um, but uh, you know, interestingly, uh, the New York Post just came out with uh, something just a few hours ago that basically said there was a massive internal battle over whether or not to select uh, DeAndre Baker. So the, the entire clubhouse was divided because of some of the character issues and off the field issues that DeAndre had. And, you know, maybe some of those weren't necessarily related to violence. A lot of them seem to be centered around he's lazy. uh, His intellectual ability to pick up things is not very good. He didn't even want to practice at Georgia he basically had to be like, have his hand held. And do you want your first round draft pick to be a guy that you have to like literally pull along with you? Yeah, listen, um, when, when things like this come out now, right around a situation like this, I, I, I take a little bit of a pause because, you know, they, they mentioned and they even highlighted maybe if the Giants hadn't have taken Daniel Jones, the sixth overall pick, which was then the big talking point around the New York Giants for the draft. Um, but when they moved back in, it wasn't commented on at the time by any of the broadcasters about, about DeAndre Baker. If anything, it was just noted. And, and I think within that article that you're mentioning, they say, everyone said that based on tape, on what he does on, on the field, you would want him on your team. You know, that, that's the consensus about DeAndre Baker as a player. Um, it wasn't brought up in the broadcast about these red flags. And there is a big difference to me between, you know, and I, I was thinking about this. I equate it as there's red flags that are had off the field issues, right? Had run-ins with campus police or had issues with girlfriends or whatever the case may be, right? Um, and then uh, obviously if he had some uh, an arrest record as a minor, then there's red flags. And I associate things like motivation and, and whether or not um, he, you know, he's as dedicated as you want him to be. That's the same kind of quote flag that I put up on a guy when they say natural raw athlete, but can he be developed into a football player? Can he, you know, hone those skills um now desire and interest versus just raw talent and can you mold that thing you can say that there's more of a positive or a negative on either one of those but that's kind of where I fall on it and I I I don't this idea of an internal battle about drafting him I mean who 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 was the internal battle 
you know, you know what I mean? You can say scouts or what have you. I just, this always feels like that after the fact kind of statement of, well, I don't know if you recall, like why, why, why wouldn't you discuss it then? Right. You had these high hopes for the player. Why wouldn't you discuss it last year when he was struggling so much early in the season? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't this information be more out there and prevalent about how organizationally they were having a debate about it? Um, and I guess that, that you can say it's neither here nor there, because I know your, your bigger question is who's responsible, right? Who, who, well, yes, it, it, it's, it's twofold. Obviously, uh, you know, while he's a young man, the ultimate responsibility falls on DeAndre Baker to not make these types of decisions, right? Like, so let's, let's just put that to bed. But, but philosophically, for me, I'm, I'm really struggling with how this isn't Dave Gettleman's fault. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because I didn't think I was going to have that take. I'm like, what's he, how's he supposed to know? What's he supposed to do here? Mm-hmm. But the reason why I feel like this is 100% on Gettleman is, is actually twofold. One is they, they feel like they did enough vetting to say that whatever character issues there was, that the Giants organization would be able to figure out a way to corral him and, and, and get the most out of him, right? So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is he was so convinced about his athletic ability and his talent that we traded up back into the first round to be able to get him. And, and while people said, yeah, his tape was good, there was teams that took him off their board entirely. So I'm saying like it's a double whammy for Dave Gettleman where we traded back into the first round and he wasn't a very good player for us last year. And then the second piece of it is you said the risk for the reward was there because his, you know, for the off the field stuff, well, the off the field stuff ended up happening. So he struck out on both ends of it in terms of talent and character. Well, so again, um, and I don't know if, I don't know if I disagree with you, but maybe for the devil's advocate's sake of it, if you are, trying to make a determination about drafting DeAndre Baker based on this is a guy that's going to need to be motivated and is going to need to be watched, right? We're going to have to make sure he gets in that film room, make sure that he's studying up, make sure that he has the right work habits. From that perspective, you could say, well, that's what we want our organization to be. We want to have a structure. We want to have this approach of everybody's all in, expectations are being set, et cetera. So if you go through that entire vetting process and you're talking about, we love this guy on tape and we're trying to determine whether or not we think we can coach good habits into him, that's a far cry different than vetting a player about, do we think he's going to have off the field issues? Because you're not, you know what I mean? Those things aren't apples to apples. You don't say if a guy isn't motivated, he's likely to commit a crime, right? So I don't think any teams were looking at it that way. Now you can, you can, to your point, say, other teams looked at him and said, I don't like the motivation aspect, and that's why we're going to steer clear of him. Your, your second point about moving up, that, that's an area to debate as well. And again, as we've highlighted with some other players, it's the fifth-year option, right? So if, if, I want to, if I want to get inside, inside the mind of Dave Gettleman, my thinking is we vetted this player. We understand he's, he's going to need to be motivated. We believe we have the organization and structure in place to provide that for him. And – we believe that because of his natural talent on the field, we want to get that fifth year of control because we believe we're getting a really valuable player that we may just need to work with the first year to get him to that point. And, you know, inside the numbers, I won't bother, but he did improve at the back end of last season, right? And he even came out and said, I think after week 10, I got to get in the, player, in, the, in, in the film room more. Now you can take that as a negative. Why weren't you there already? But it was an acknowledgement and he showed improvement. So you could say, hey, he was trending in the right direction, even if it took a little bit of time to get his feet underneath him. You said that if, Dave, if you're in the mind of Dave Gettleman, you're like, we vetted him. 
I would say, one, you didn't vet him well enough. Two, we have the people in the building to be able to make sure that we can get the most out of him. That's what our coaches are paid to do. You clearly didn't because he was not that good on the field. And three is if the coaching was good and then you look at the scouting to be able to say, why did we trade back into the first round to get a guy that did not play well? So for me, like there, there's all this accountability that goes to Dave Gettleman. Was our vetting process not good? Were our scouts not accurate with their assessment of DeAndre Baker? And is our motivation, our coaching, our coaching up and our learning and our system not good enough? And, and like, that's the question that I now have for Gettleman is like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If DeAndre Baker came out and he was a stud, everyone would be like, look at Dave Gettleman. He had the brass to be able to make that move. But look at Daniel Jones. He took so much heat for drafting Daniel Jones. I was one of his biggest critics. And guess mm-hmm. what? He's sitting back saying, look at me. I drafted Daniel Jones. I swung for the fences and, and I won. And, and he, he hit that pick great. And, and now a lot of people are eating crow. But you can't tell him that he's so great for making these, these picks and not crush him when another first round draft pick goes by the wayside. But, but again, and I, you're, you're, they're all fair criticisms, but again, you're, you're talking about saying it's the same thing like saying, right? Well, I did everything right to hit on Daniel Jones and I'm not saying about, so you get the accolades and you take the slings and arrows, certainly, but it's the same process that went into evaluating Daniel Jones or evaluating Dexter Lawrence or evaluating any of these players. So when you think about it from that standpoint, it's hard to say, you know what I mean? Like, how, so that's why, because look, look at all the players that we hit on. It's the same process we went through for them. The fact that this is an outlier, relatively speaking, you know, that, that to me, it, you know, and again, it's not like, well, one out of 10 or one out of 14, whatever, but you know what I mean? You talk about, so over the last two drafts, there's been one player that has elicited a red flag in terms of off the field issues, go around the NFL. I don't think that those percentages are any more or less or worse. And I will, again, I'll refute the idea. You're talking about the, the vetting process wasn't good enough. Again, they're not vetting him for about off-the-field issues. They're talking about his football ability and acumen. And I want to try to, as we're, as we're working through here, I do want to try to get these numbers up on a game-to-game basis because, for argument's sake, you get inside of his stat logs, DeAndre Baker for the last four or five weeks of the season looks significantly better. And if, we, if, you're, if you want to argue from that standpoint about player evaluation and talent and he wasn't good on the field, I can make the case that it's just that you put, a, you know, put him in day one to be starting there and th- this was going to be the case no matter what in a lot of ways. You're going to get beat up. And you and I acknowledged uh, Betcher running the wrong system, utilizing the player wrong, asking him to do things that he didn't normally do. If we're just talking purely from an X's and O's standpoint. You just mentioned a couple of free agents that are out there, like Mo Claiborne, who mm-hmm. have the same statistics that DeAndre Baker did. Now, DeAndre Baker's younger. DeAndre Baker has more upside because you think yeah. that there was an ability, uh, there is or, or was an ability to grow from there. But at the same time, we're talking about guys that are still on the free agent scrap heap, for best, you know, lack of a better term. These guys are looking for one-year, $3 million deals to stay in the league. That is not the type of production you want from from a first round draft pick that you trade up and give away valuable assets i mean think about how much we blasted dave gettleman for giving up that third round pick to be able to get leonard williams he traded a third round pick to move up seven spots to get deandre baker so yeah, which then, one is more egregious though no i understand but you can't we, we talked about this all the time you don't get what do we always say when you do a draft class you have to wait three years to know if it was valuable or not so you can't sit here after year one of DeAndre Baker and make the and make the statement of he wasn't worth it. It was a total wasted pick. It's just that, that that's, that's, well, that's I can, being I unfair. Can tell you, I can tell you the semi-automatic weapon has a minimum sentence of 15 years in Florida in Broward County. And so while we can, we can wait as long as you want, 
but no, no, but that's but that's fine. Though. Hold, that it, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's not. That's not what. The, hold on. You know what I mean? We're we're gonna have the conversation about it. There's the conversation around. We're talking about football stuff right now. You want to talk about the, the the situation that he's involved in? That's fine. And it's not good. And if he ends up going to jail for it, he's found guilty. Adam, see, I can't. I'm not separating the two. I can't separate the two because. But this you have part, to, though, Andy. No, but, if, no, I, I, think that, I, think that you're, I think that you're a great person. You have no history in your background of ever committing a crime, right? And I could say you're on the podcast with me, and I sure wish that Andy was a little more dedicated. By the way, that's not true. He's a great, he's a great co-host. But, you know, I wish that he was a little more motivated. I wish he did these things and that, that thing. And you have no, no, no negatives in your past. And then tomorrow it comes out that you've been – there's a warrant out for your arrest for something. Does that mean that, does that mean that, does that mean that like, well, Adam, you're, you're hundred percent responsible because you couldn't, you didn't determine that Andy at some point in his life was going to commit a crime, was going to make a mistake, was going to have something happen to him. And that's really what we're talking about specifically from the idea of there wasn't a history or a pattern of this thing. You know, it's not Jameis Winston stealing crab legs before he comes to the NFL and people thinking, is that a dumb kid move or is it something bigger? Well, now, now you're just anecdotally picking different charges and whether or not that means something. I mean, there were... No, 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 no. no. I, 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 what I'm saying is there were no charges ever in his background. That's the point that I'm making. You don't get to say... There's no way to, to go in and vet a player, vet individuals for a job or something and project an occurrence of something that there is no indication of. There's no precursor to this idea that this could be something that would happen. Unlike, again, if you want to talk about the basis of they shouldn't have drafted him because he showed poor work ethic around getting better, poor film study, that's a debatable point. But when you throw in the back end thing of saying, well, he's going to be going to jail for having a fire. Like, I'm sorry, you have to nip that in the bud because you're just, you're, you're, you're just pulling threads from all over and then tying it in and saying, and this is why Dave Gettleman's responsible because he should have known that he was going to, he was going to get charged with this a year later. Well, you and I seem to disagree on character issues. I, I don't. I think that they can all come together in one bucket, and you assess a person's character in that bucket. If are, are you? Wait, I'm saying, but yes, I'm saying arrest records and someone who maybe isn't that motivated in the film room. Those aren't the same bucket of character issues, man. Wait, those are two very different things. But but are so you're saying like Jameis Winston's red flags of stealing crab legs is 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 in some way more or less than DeAndre Baker being unmotivated, not showing up to practices, not caring about the film room, being very, uh, you know, f from the reports being very from the one From the one report, that, from the one report that we're pulling from right now, from one, well, from one source. So of there's, there's, there's multiple reports there. They're also saying there, there was two or three different scouts that came out and this is not me saying it. Oh they yeah, said, I know. Yeah. They did say around the draft. Around, yeah, yeah. He said, he said, they said he is the dumbest player in the entire draft. That is not me saying it. There are actual quotes from scouts saying, he is dumb. He doesn't pick up the playbook. He's lazy. He's annoying. All of that stuff goes into the character bucket. Now, if you, you okay. want to say, well, I take my character bucket and I slice it up into 10 specific categories, one being gun no, violence. I, 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 I just, no, I, I strike them into two separate categories. One is criminal acts that you can go to jail for. And the other one is things that you're concerned. You know what I mean? There's two, that, those are two different categories. Domestic violence and firearms are not the guy isn't that bright. Like, you know, I'm sorry. Like, and you can, like, there's plenty of people. Everyone falls on an intelligence spectrum. And what you're saying is, if you're not that smart, then that means you're, you're, that means exponentially more likely to commit crimes. I, no, I'm saying that, that you, it falls into the character issue where you vet the whole person. Like, but again, but, but that thing didn't exist though. You're vetting him but, now but based on it. I'm saying if you had a, if you had a prospect coming out who, who scored the highest possible Wonderlick score, was incredibly intelligent, right? 
you're, by, by your association, you're saying, and that's why we know he'll never own a gun or commit a crime because he's smart. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. When you throw them in the same bucket, that's, that's, that's what you're creating. You're creating this brush that says, so that if, 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 you're, if, you're not, if you don't score well on the tests and you maybe weren't the most motivated. By the way, those are red flags for football players. I get that. I'm not arguing that point. But you're saying if you, if you show those things automatically, we have to assume it's possible that you may commit crimes. Well, I'm just saying the character bucket itself. But, the, but yes, I get it. But the, there wasn't anything in that bucket. Other, there was the red flags that you listed about scouts and what they thought about him. And that's fine. And you can argue that Gettleman, based on that alone, should not have drafted him. Fine. But, but, but you throw in this thing of like, and he's that, and, and also in the character bucket is now he had a warrant out for his arrest for this alleged crime that he committed. That wasn't, this isn't back to the future. We didn't hop in the DeLorean, go forward, see it, and then say, now let's go back and undo the bad past. And I'm sorry, like you're doing, you're using a revisionist history of saying, now that I know that, he, that he's going to be possibly charged with this crime and go to jail, I'll look back at those red flags and I'll say that they should have been weighted a lot heavier then, shouldn't they? Even though nobody brought those things up on draft well, day, nobody listed those things on broadcast, and now all these reporters and scouts listen. are bringing them out there as if this was the precursor to what happened. But, but we're to, well, you just, I mean, you, I, and I'll end on this one. You brought up Jameis Winston who stole crab legs from a supermarket. Oh, and by the way, you want my perspective on that? It was silly, and it's not a big deal. And it was dumb, and it was stupid, but that was a red flag. So if you're saying Jameis Winston stealing crab legs because he got arrested for it, and what happened with Ray Rice is the same thing because it's an arrest. Like, you should have seen that coming. They they had arrests in their their background. Like, that's what – I think that you're you're thinking that there needs to be a specific like he got arrested for this and not, not like these scouts. No, no, I'm not. Athens, no, I'm not. Scouts uh, fly to Athens, Athens, Georgia, and they know if he got in a bar fight that never got reported. They know if there was other things that are going on, and that's why so many teams took him off their board because it's not just that he wasn't he lacked intelligence or he was very lazy. There's clearly a ton of reasons why people remove him from their board altogether. That's fine. Yeah, 100. percent That's fine. Those points are fine, and. I know that you can go back and talk about it. Like I'm saying, no, I'm not saying when Jameis Winston was caught stealing crab legs, that is the, you know, end all of be all of red flags. But what they, and this, this gets into this, maybe gets us in this weird murky area. And you're talking about character all in one bucket of, well, it definitely was a poor judgment call by him. Right. And he's a kid and he'll learn a lesson. And, you know, there's some level of, you know, what's the cutoff from, from 17 to 20 to 22, you know, when, when did you officially say it's no longer just a, a, a casual mistake, but, Again, it'd be the same thing of saying, I I guess the other way to look at this would be to say, Jameis Winston, when you were evaluating him from a talent and skill standpoint, regardless of any off the field or anything or character issues, whatever, what, what you should have seen was that he's never going to be the kind of quarterback that can lead your franchise. So it's a horrible mistake to have drafted him when you did, because he turned out to be a 30 interception guy five years down the road and how do you miss those things the point that i'm making is that like scout evaluation talent evaluation gm evaluation all of these vetting process all the information you can have at your fingertips it doesn't change ending up with ryan leaf right it doesn't change that still you can miss on these players for any number of reasons now you can say that ryan leaf can miss as a quarterback and you're probably not going to run maybe into an issue with him you know, off the field or with police. And that can go into the character side of things. But I, I just think that to, well, let, let's go to the overarching question, right? Should well, Dave well, Gettleman's fault? I don't think that it's ever, it never falls to one individual or to one process. It's, it's this collective thing. And I don't think that, I think that any team 
for the most part, every team in the league can fall prey to this, right? Like go over to Seattle. They're, they've been a great organization. Well, so what happened with Dunbar? How didn't you see this in the tea leaves for this player as well? You know what I mean? And that's just, that's, I think that's just more the nature of human beings and people. And this is the spectrum that things fall onto. David Syvertson is one of the lead scouts for our lads and his thoughts about Baker in 2019. He basically said, I, I was surprised uh, by the giants trading up. And then he went on to say, what surprised me the most was the fact that he didn't receive a lot of love from the U, uh, UGA coaching staff when it came to character and work ethic. Right. So what he's saying is they didn't like him as a person. They thought he wasn't a very good dude. And then he also was demotivated. And then you have, you know, multiple giants during the middle of the year, two players come, come back and, and describe DeAndre Baker as a handful. And they said, he's a pain in the neck, pain in the ass. So like, for me, the, everywhere he's gone, there's been issues with his work ethic and his character, and he's not a good guy. So, so why are we all of a sudden saying, this is the guy that we need to trade up and trade assets for? We think we can handle him, and then we can't. Well, okay, so let's also let, – let's also, um, let, I, I, I want to put a, a cap on one area and then talk about what you're bringing up because I think the reason why we're getting into the back-and-forth debate about it is like I'm looking at – I'm talking about globally, right, about – character concerns or motivation versus what this specifically has happened with Dunbar and with Baker cap that off. Right. Cause that's something that we could go, go, you know, 13 rounds on. But from that, from the standpoint of what you're talking about, that is the soup. That is the nuts and bolts of scouting and saying, Hey, specifically if the Collins that you played at is not necessarily hyping you up the way that Saban hypes the crap out of Xavier McKinney. And it's like, you're getting a true blue stud. This guy's going to know things in and out and all those, all those things that you expect to hear about that player, given the scouting process that you went through on him. The, on the other side of it, the, the locker room piece that you brought up is interesting as well, because what it reminds me of is Eli Apple. Now, Eli Apple, not an off the field issue guy, but that's where, you know, that's the kind of the correlation that I make of if you're, if you're not necessarily maybe the most motivated or you're coming in a little bit cocky or headstrong that your natural ability will overtake, that typically on the NFL stage does not play out. You can never fall back on, I'm a naturally gifted athlete, because guess what? You're surrounded by a league of naturally gifted athletes. So that piece un unto itself would be the thing that I would hang my hat on as saying, listen, when you went in and scouted this guy and you didn't hear positives from his, from his college level coaches, and when you didn't hear positives for motivation and you know, those type of aspects from scouting, that probably you can combine those things and say, hey, it's not worth it. My curiosity would be is, when we talk about Gettleman, a lot of times, right, what is it? A scout comes and says, man, I'll stake my reputation that we can fix this guy. And maybe this is, this is that global issue, right? Does it all fall at Gettleman's feet? He's the final guy. He pulls the trigger he's the, on. He's, yep, he's, he, is the, he is the be all end all final say. Obviously, the Tishes and the Maras ha, have a say. Yeah, but they're really not. Want to right, on draft day. Right, right on I draft get that. day. Yeah. He, you know, who makes that gut call? Who, it's Dave Gettleman as the CEO of Giants Draft or Giants Team Building to be able to make these tough calls. And sometimes he gets it wrong, and, and that's yeah. okay. But what I'm saying is, you can't hit a home run with, with Daniel Jones, sit back, put your feet up on that coffee table, and say, knew it the whole time, and then swing and a miss on DeAndre Baker when he didn't really play well, if you look at the totality of the season. There were character and work ethic concerns that played themselves out over the next 12 to 14 months. So, like, I, I just want to say, like, I didn't think I was going to feel as passionately as I do about it, but, but 
man, I, th I think this one is, is a big swing and a miss for the giant, giant scouting department and, and Gettleman as a whole. Yeah, and again, you know, a, a fun exercise in comparison would be to, you know, look over Gettleman's track record as a GM and his draft selections from here and from Carolina and, you know, his other stops. And then look around the league at, at, at you know, look around the GMs around the league and, and look at hits and misses, right? We talked about it a couple podcasts ago. We talked about percentage of the fifth-year option that gets picked up. Right. And it was interesting to see how well a lot of guys get taken in the first round and then a little under half of those players don't get their fifth year option picked up, which means that in year three, you've already determined through an evaluation process that they were not worth the selection that you made them in. So, you know, um, the, the, the character piece of it alone, I think, is something that you can focus on. I will say from a global standpoint, right, um, this does speak to the, the, the still present concerns about the New York football giants organizationally because you go back to last year and you highlight how ultimately Shermer gets fired, but the sense kind of was that maybe Gettleman didn't want to fire Shermer, but that ownership wanted to fire Shermer. And then you, you talk about, well, now Gettleman's still there. Now you could also label it as lucky unlucky, right? Lucky that you drafted Daniel Jones when you did, and it looks like it's going to work out. Unlucky that you drafted Baker when you did, and it looks like that's not going to work out. But at the end of the day, this is still this weird sphere around this organization that for so many years, internally and externally, has always been said, right, one of the gold standards of the NFL. There's been, a, there's been enough missteps and mishandling of things. There's been enough off-the-field issues for a smattering of players along the way that I don't know if that reputation really holds the weight as much as maybe the Giants, the Mares, and the Tishes would like it to tout. And if you want to be representative of that, then it, again, becomes a very – you have to take those no-tolerance you know, no tolerance stance on these issues. Not, you know, listen, Baker, the legal system will work that out. But you have to be very black and white about these kind of things. And it probably then you can go back and say, did Gettleman go to bat in, you know, in the war room and say, we're going to draft this player? And the ownership said, we heard about red flags. What, you know, what, what's the deal there? We want to avoid them. And Gettleman said, don't worry about it. We, you know, we'll get the job done. Um, and it speaks to the rumors, and we can kind of wrap up on this if you want – that does this incident warrant enough? If you lay it at Gettleman's feet, is this the kind of thing that maybe a guy who was on the hot seat based on how the season was going to go this year, is this a fireable offense for Gettleman? Again, in totality of, we knew there were things building, right? Well, it's, it's funny because from what you just said, the, the thing that I think about is you can't preach high character, high quality as a pillar of, of mm -hmm. your value system. And then with one, one of your top draft picks, you take a guy with work ethic character concerns. And then, they turn, and then when it turns bad, and it turns out potentially the way other teams thought it was going to be, you can't hold up your hands and say, well, we didn't know he was going to do that. Mm -hmm. So like, for me, I, I think as a Giants organization, if you are talking about we are high character, highly respected team guys, they're not necessarily showing it right now. What, what I will say is it's tough. I don't think this is a fireable offense for Gettleman. I think it's another uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. If, if things aren't going the right way, this is just another one of those points that you can bring up. And, and again, to your point, there's 53 guys on a roster, 55 uh, upcoming this year. You know, it's, it's tough, you know, controlling and corralling 55 guys that are, that are grown men that have millions of dollars and can make their own decisions. You know, it, it, this is one guy out of out of fifty five. It's 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 tough to 
it's tough for, for me to, to look at it as a fireball offense for Gettleman, but I do think him being a member of the New York Giants falls squarely on Dave Gettleman. Interestingly enough, you go, go back and think about Remember the Lar- Laramie Tunsil early in the draft, right? Giants passed on him and ended up taking Eli Apple that year because of an incident w- you know, with a gas mask and marijuana. And I've, I've argued long, long and hard that that's about the least concerning thing you know, to, to, to not draft a player for. But you made that choice, and that felt like the organizational stance, right? Yes. We, listen, it's a red flag of some kind, and we're just not going to risk it, and that's why we avoid them. The other thing that I'll say is, too, I think that Gettleman, you talk about the, the Leonard Williams trade, you talk about even the DeAndre Baker selection, whatever the case may be, I think there's some level of the same way that Jerry Reese at the back end of his tenure, it was very much, you know, I need to do whatever I need to do to try to make this thing work so that I can hang my hat that I've had these successes. And I feel like a little bit Gettleman has been in that bubble basically from day one through some poor choice by the ownership group as well about how they wanted things to be handled. Probably didn't give Gettleman the best starting point. But if we want a silver lining it, friends, I also think that Joe Judge's fingerprints were all over this draft class all over the free agency period because it was about what high character guys, guys that were captains of their team at the college level. And really in terms of the locker room about, yes, these are all the culture players that we want there. And to that extent, this is a terrible thing to put in the giants fans minds, but this could feel a lot like what the jets had happened, right? Brought in Gase, had a GM in place, wasn't going to work out, disagreed, butted heads, and then ultimately they turned it over, and Gase ends up being able to put his opinion in for who he wants to be above him, helping make some of these overall decisions. I wouldn't be surprised whether it's before or after this season. I think that that's kind of the situation you're going to see play out, where Joe Judge is going to get to have his say on who he wants, you know, buying the groceries for him. And and what I think we can, uh, you know... Think about it as a cl- as a closing thought on this one to tie a nice bow on it. As you always say, is in five. You know, we've learned all this information in the last three days about the DeAndre Baker situation specifically. Imagine what we're going to learn in the next three to five days. You know, and all of a sudden, if a video comes out that exonerates him and he's playing week one and and looks like an all pro player, then Dave Gettleman puts those feet right back up on that coffee table and and feels like he hit a home run again. So. You know, we've we've gone down this route as a hypothetical saying DeAndre won't be there and that, you know, there, there is potential that this could be true. Um, but again, we'll probably have more information on this in, in the next week or so. Um, and as we do, we'll obviously uh, make sure that it's it's noted in the podcast and uh, just update any of our thoughts because obviously we, we both feel pretty strongly about some of these different angles on it. And I'm sure that there's going to be more information about DeAndre Baker's history, people are going to go to his hometown and try to dig up all this dirt to be like, look at this, it's been around forever. So I'm sure we'll get more info. I hope none of this is true. I hope that DeAndre's lawyer is right with all the affidavits and videos that exonerate him, but only time will tell. Yeah, and if it is the case, then we'll be back on talking about, and that's my final thought, that everybody was, was talking high on him towards the end of the year and what he was doing on the field. So, you know, now that this comes out, it's very easy for everyone to draw back up and say how awful he was, you know, and point to those player things. And these are two very separate issues and areas of this young man's life. And hopefully for him, it turns out to not be the case. But if so, like you say, it'll be interesting to see what other information we learn over the coming days and weeks. That being said, friends, we want to make sure we came in and obviously got into a a philosophical debate a little bit. We got to kind of throw some ideas around that are tied in just to the premise of when you have an issue like this up come, you'll come up for you on your team. 
what level of blame and responsibility should be put at the feet of the GM, the ownership, uh, the scouting department, etc. Follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. Enjoy this podcast wherever you are listening to it right now as we finish the switch over for our network. We will be back up on all platforms very shortly. And you're most likely hearing this on, on Spotify or possibly Anchor.fm. iTunes will be back up and running shortly. So stay tuned for that as well. And as Andy Makowitz would like you to know. Let's go Big Blue.